Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the People Processes podcast, where we dive deep into the tools, laws, and yes, processes that you need to know in order to scale and grow your organization. We help organizations all across the United States streamline, optimize, implement, and revolutionize their HR operations. We've helped hundreds of companies and thousands of HR leaders across the world get their people processes right. And today, we are interviewing Amber Hurdle. Amber Hurdle is the CEO of Amber Hurdle Consulting. It's a multi-award-winning talent optimization firm. They pioneers using both science and marketing principles to strengthen customers' brands from the inside out. She really helps with costly business problems like ineffective recruiting, turnover, underperformance, declining morale, leadership gaps, and we are so excited to have her in the show today. Before we dive too deep, though, I want to ask you real quick, please subscribe to our podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much any podcatcher of your choice. And you can subscribe at peopleprocesses.com, which will give you exclusive subscriber-only content. Last week, for example, we sent out sample furlough letters and updated policies uh, around the uh, Families First Coronavirus Relief Act. This is recorded 323. Our subscribers had sample policies 24 hours after the law passed. Now, let's dive in. Amber, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Rami. Well, I am just ecstatic to have you in. Uh, there's a lot going on in the country right now. You know, like I said, this is March 23rd recording. This probably won't come out until mid-April. April. We have no idea what the situation is going to look like out there. So we'll try to keep our coronavirus uh, info to the to the to the minimum, and instead focus in on the things that you have accomplished. Now, Amber, not many little girls and boys dress up as uh, leadership and HR consultants when they're eight years old to go trick or treating. How <laughs> how on earth did you wind up in this very strange field that's pretty dang busy right now? Well, as someone who dressed up like Janice Joplin for I don't even know how many years in a row. <laughs> you know what? She inspires people. It's leadership. There we go. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think, and I talk about this a lot when we talk about personal branding, is is that there are breadcrumbs that you can follow if you look back on your history and see how you chose to show up in various situations, whether that's professionally or in your family or in your social settings or volunteerism or whatever. And, and you can see that there are some very specific gifts that keep popping up as something that you feel led to share with other people. And so the gifts that I have um, from a, a vantage point of really being able to see somebody for who they are or a situation for what it is, um, being a very quick thinker, being able to um, really put chaos into a strategic, streamlined um, process to work through. I, I can I can create calm and chaos very quickly and then buy people into that solution. Um, and then connecting people. So engagement and communication have always been things that have served, I've used to serve other people. And it just made sense in the end to do that in a professional setting because I can impact more people by going into an organization or into an audience than trying to do it other ways. That's, that's very uh, self-aware, Amber, and that's awesome to hear. But what I want to hear is you have a pretty unusual way though, right? Because <laughs> if I remember from your bio, 
you were a teen mom and kind of on a very different path than consulting with international celebrities and Fortune 100 companies. (laughs) Yeah, they were knocking on my door back then. (laughs) Right. So, So give me that story. How did you get from, you know, I don't know. I can't imagine the 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 place you were in there to to kind of now grown kids and rocking out all over the world. Well, good question. Um, I credit a lot of what I've learned in life um, to that experience. And, you know, I wasn't like a bad girl. I was actually very involved. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> not not to right. Not, not, not to marginalize yeah. any teen mom, but I'm just saying like I wasn't I wasn't a troubled you know, I didn't have a troubled childhood, none of that. Like I was a very normal, um, was on channel four news at six and 10 for a week, like just weeks before I found out I was pregnant because Mm -hmm. they were featuring me and about a dozen other middle Tennessee students because we were stable and good kids. And they wanted to have conversations with us around hard things that were going on and that parents were having a hard time talking to their children about. So um, it was quite the fall from grace. We'll just say I was president of this, vice president of that in school, and I had to give up all those leadership. I didn't have to. I chose to because my actions weren't very leadership-like for high school anyways. So um, I guess the the quick version of the story is I had to get out from behind the eight ball very quickly. And I had to figure out what people saw in me so that I could just pick up an extra shift at the Applebee's or get a better um, job that maybe I didn't have the education for because I dropped out of college. Um, I was very tuned in to what people saw in me so I can do more of that so I can find more favor and I can have more opportunities come my way. Um, I started collecting mentors because I did not have, I didn't have the same structures in place that most people had. I mean, my parents are amazing. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not, you know, we'll just put them aside, but most people have professors and, you know, the people that kind of help guide them as they start their career. And I was just kind of free falling. <laughs> right, so, right. so as I was figuring that out, I didn't know that I was creating a personal brand that, that wasn't a buzzword. I mean, you had a professional reputation, but that wasn't a thing back then. And I surely didn't understand what I was doing at the time, but reflecting back on it now, that's it. I I would just had to figure out what I was amazing at. And I had to go out and show people and prove that that is, that's what they should see in me, that they should see the value that I saw in me. But I had to use people as mirrors to even figure out what that was. Mm. And, and so you think that, that, that teen mom experience really, I've, I've thought about this too. My, my wife and I, we met when we were 16 or we started dating when we were 16. We've been together our whole lives, uh, high school sweethearts and started the company together 11 years ago and um, certain experiences and, and having certain responsibilities in your life. Um, it's impossible to say like what you would have done otherwise. Right. right. <laughs> and, and I, I, a lot of times I've, I've had the similar interviews where it's like, well, what do you credit your success to? It's like, well, when I was 18, I moved out so that I could, you know, start a family with my girlfriend, which is such a weird, like as an, as even at the time I was like, there's no way this is going to work. This is obviously silly stuff to do. And yet, um, those choices made, put me in positions where my back was against the wall. We had to live on our $700 a month kind of budget (laughs) and it, it, it changed everything. So what do you think being a team mom taught you specifically about what you do now, the branding, the, the, the consulting side of what you do now? It definitely, well, the very first thing that it 
blessed me with is humility. Um, I don't judge people, uh, but there's, there's just not room for that. So there's always, um, what I refer to kind of a coachy term is there's always judgment free awareness in, in my office or on my zoom calls or or in the office of my clients. Um, so anything can be said, admitted, worked through, you know, you mentioned the term self-awareness, like that's what that's what served me then. And so that is what we build on. Once we have that judgment-free awareness, then we can work to self-awareness. Um, and then it also helped me see where I fit into a bigger picture, right? Because I was only um, able to benefit from the collective. Like I couldn't do it on my own. I had to do it in the context of other people being involved. And so, you know, when you're looking at the personal branding that comes from self-awareness and and that sort of thing. But when you talk about employer branding, you have to understand the bigger picture and you have to understand where your personal brand fits into that employer brand. And, and the employer has to be able to understand that as well. Um, and then of course, just that uh, so much was quote fixed. I'm using air quotes alone in my office right now. <laughs> um, I, I have uh, diagnosed, medically diagnosed ADD. Uh, most people don't know that because team motherhood also forced me to really put those processes in place. I mean, that's what I love. I love your people processes that because people forget that to be successful in business, to scale in business, you don't, it's not just functional processes. You have to have people processes too. And so everything about my life was structured. It was, um, it was organized. Um, I did budget. Like I literally had a, a, a ruled paper that I did each week on. And at the, at the bottom of the paper, it was like, okay, I'm negative this or I'm, I have $10 left. You know, I mean, it, it taught me to negotiate. It taught me how to be honest and to fail forward. I mean, I called my car company all the time. I tell the story from stage um, and just let them know like, Hey guys, I thought I was going to have my payment this week, but here's what's going on. I'm working at this job. This I'll make this much money cash. Um, I'm anticipating getting my paycheck. It should be this much. And so by Friday I can get you this dollar amount, but that's probably going to be it. And to be able to just be confront the brutal facts, but not lose faith, you know, right. that's, confront that was the dragon, right? If you, yeah, if slay you the dragon under the notice, right. If you just yeah, hide the notice it up, the, face yeah. it head on, call it what it is, and then come up with your solution. And, you know, they, they were so gracious with me and they did not repossess my car. And as many times as they could tack a payment on the end, they did because I stayed in constant communication with them, even though yeah. I was in the midst of failing. So I don't know. I mean, <laughs> Rami, we could sit here all day about the things that I learned that have served me well now um, as a teen mom, but those are those are probably some big nuggets there. Well, now you are a successful entrepreneur. You have multiple businesses, um, and along the way, how long? How long have you? When was your first business started? How long ago was that? Um, let's see here. My very first, which is not in existence anymore, was two thousand. 2007 and I rode the wave of 2008 (laughs) and, and, and came out on the other side, you know? So, um, I I ran a very successful celebrity event planning company through the worst economic downturn, uh, in us history. Um, because of what you said earlier, just sheer grit. Like when your back's up against the wall, you have to innovate and you have to make it work. And my vendors and their families and their ability to feed their families were very dependent on me because I was oftentimes the 
number one client of theirs or their their number one source of you know business right. and and that's all an ecosystem right yeah and i had you know at that point i was divorced i had two kids um i was a single mom trying to make everything work but um yeah it was super stressful but we made it happen and then through this you know whole covid-19 situation we're in um that's just my my stance, I was talking to my friend the other day and he and I are just basically the same human, only he's male. Um, and, and we both were just laughing because we said we refuse to participate in 2008 and we're refusing to participate right now. I mean, I'm not, I'm not ignorant and I'm not naive. I know that bad things are going on, but you can do what you can do instead of sitting and crying and waiting exactly. for somebody else to rescue you. There's an opportunity everywhere. everywhere. Always. And, and usually really juicy ones in the midst of chaos. Absolutely. Well, we'll go into that in a minute, but our listeners, they're, they vary. They're everyone from college students trying to figure out what they want to do up through uh, CEOs with a couple thousand employees to HR managers at, those lo- at a local plumbing shop. And I have found in terms of our feedback, the number one thing that I get is that they learn the most when our guests tell us about their biggest mistakes. <laughs> You're rocking out now. But what I'd love for you to do is take us to the time when you had your worst entrepreneurial moment. And we'll get to maybe what you learned about it. But really, I want you to take me to the, the series of events that led to that worst moment and tell me a little bit about that. Well, um, I've had multiple business partners or strategic alliances throughout um, my career and um, probably dissolving a partnership that we got into without an exit strategy. And that was bumpy, um, and disappointing and it broke relationship. And, um, I honestly don't regret how I managed my side of it because I think that I did it with as much integrity as I possibly could. Um, but you know, whether you are going into business with somebody, going into a project with somebody, or even um, when you take on new clients or customers, is really important to have everything spelled out on the front end. And, and it's something that I do in my business now. Even when friends come to me and want to do business with me, I always just tell them, like, we're going to sign an agreement, not because I don't trust you or you don't trust me, but it just immediately builds trust and we always know what what the expectations are and we always have something to go back to to make sure that we are staying the course absolutely my um you were talking about support structure i have a great family i I love them to death but uh, my father was a postal inspector uh, so he was a federal law enforcement i don't know an entrepreneur in my family i'd never (laughs) spoken to someone who owned a business Uh, but some of the lessons um, that came from my dad just because he was who he was. I mean, since we were 12 years old, there was a sheet of paper on top of the fridge, so I couldn't get to it, um, where we laid out any agreements we made. You're going to take the trash out on Fridays and mow the lawn on Saturdays. Yes. We wrote it there and we signed it. How do we stop doing it? I loaned you 20 bucks to go to the mall because I'm a 90s kid. Um, <laughs> it's right there on the sheet. And um, I don't know, because of that, I just never had the... Uh, the, the, the fear of being like, you know, no, 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 we're writing this down. It's going, 
we're we're both signing this napkin to agree yeah. on this thing. Uh, we don't put it in writing; it didn't happen. I don't know, but that's so for you. Some of your worship experiences have been around strategic partnerships and those sorts of things, and their dissolution when maybe it didn't work out, or just the environment changed. That would be yeah. Your- I mean, I learned the hard way best, unfortunately. But when when I do go through that, I, I do learn and I take my notes and I fail forward mm-hmm. and. Uh, turn those losses into lessons and do it better the next time. So you'll, you'll never see me um, get into any type of professional situation without having very clear expectations of outcomes and, and what happens if something goes sideways, because it will, I mean, we're human, right? This is absolutely even in a, a corporate environment, things go sideways because people are involved. That's why we have people processes. Exactly. Actually, uh, we're going to we're going to go into some more standard questions in a second. But this is just a random thought that occurs to me. I I get this question from uh, small business owners quite often or more their HR people. When we're entering into something like this, and and, and even if it's not a large issue, like bringing on a new vendor, or um, maybe you're entering into like a reselling agreement or a partnership where you're going to bring on somebody as an independent contractor. Do you think that it's necessary to involve a lawyer every time? Or do you think that you can figure it out on your own? Um, I, you know, my best friend is a lawyer. So. Uh, cheater. <laughs> yeah, well, no, he's a dirt lawyer. So there's, you know, that's, yeah. there's only, it's not business law, but um, I'm just saying he'd probably disagree with me. But uh, I don't think that you need a lawyer every time. And, you know, when you are onboarding even new a, a new employee, um, you have your basic employee contract, if you will, um, and every state is different in how that sure. you know, shows up. Um, but you going through your onboarding process, that is essentially uh, kind of an ongoing agreement of, okay, here's the job description. Here's why we hired you. Here are the... Um, here are the expectations. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to train you. Here's how we're going to integrate you. And here's how we are going to follow up on these items and measure our success. And putting those pieces in place is 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 an un, unofficial agreement of this is what we expect. This is what you expect. We're going to do regular check-ins to make sure that we're on the same page. And so it, it just... Anytime that you want success and you want to minimize the the pain, you have to control the controllables because the uncontrollables sure are coming. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. That's um and, and and actually in a lot of depending on your state, as you mentioned, many times it is actually a, a contract contract, a, a yeah. very legally binding issue. So okay, I think that's a very good point. I just was curious if it came to me when you were talking about um partnership agreements and those sorts of things. Um, I, my normal advice is, um, you must remain a going concern. Don't let a lawyer put you out of business, mm-hmm. but if you don't hire a lawyer, you make go out of business. Yeah, that's so, true. That's good. Um, so that's, kind of, um, <laughs> that's a tweetable. <laughs> yeah. And I, um, uh, so what we, we normally recommend is, is so we, we do all, of course, at people processes, we do a lot of that HR consulting. We build handbooks, we build onboarding paths, all those sorts of things. Uh, and we do have attorneys we work with. Uh, in those processes. And a lot of times what we do is we say, here's all the sample, here's all the build out, here's our custom HR stuff. But if you want it to be a contract, legally enforceable, it's your authority saying that it's right, or you need to hire an attorney who will put their letterhead on it. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I have think every business, every business exactly. should have uh, a CPA, an attorney, um, definitely on deck at all times, because this, this, um, I mean, 
your business as a legal entity to do it all without having any type of, I mean, even if you just use legal zoom or something, I mean, yeah, Betsy, like just to make sure that some, somebody with an actual law degree is at least on call for, for when you have those moments. Absolutely. Well, that's um, a, a great story. Now, now, now what you do is in this world of, um, it, it seems to be a mixture of, of, of branding and marketing, but also very focused on the HR side of things. So when a client comes to you, uh, how do you work with these, you know, what, what's kind of your process when a client comes and works for you, works with well, you? So- in the branding and marketing process, we use data to inform the strategy, right? So anytime you go grocery shopping and you scan your loyalty card, that's data that informs the strategy for um, for the grocery store that you shop with. Um, same thing with if you go to Best Buy, they're collecting data. If you click around on a website, they're clicking data so they know how to respond to their unique customers, right? And so they create customer profiles, and that's how they market to you. And billions of dollars are committed to this every single year. Mm -hmm. And so as I was really niching down so many years ago to internal publics from a PR perspective, um, I realized that you need data for that too. And so there's different things that you can do to collect data, just homegrown things like an exit strategy or an exit interview, rather. Um, I'm sure you could sit here and list all the different uh, analytics that that can be done um, internally. Absolutely. But when I'm talking about my type of analytics, it's psychoanalytics. So I want, like a marketer, I want, I want on your brain, I want in your head, I want to know um, what your, what your underlying needs are in a work environment. And once I know that, then I can understand how those needs then drive your behavior. And so I'll give a personal example of this, um, of, of why this matters so much. So I was a young, broke teen mom, <laughs> and I had the opportunity to work at um, a local um, manufacturing plant. And it, it was a place where people waited for years to get into, to get a job there. It was a, a coveted um, place because it was very consistent work. It, it paid well, there was lots of benefits. Um, and it was just one of the most solid areas. And of course, because of relationship, I had an in, and not only did I have an in and did not have to wait at all to get a job there. I got on first shift, not third, not second, but first. And on top of it, I was put in refurbishing, which all that means is it was the most cush department you could possibly work in. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it, you didn't have to ask permission to come off the line. You weren't screwing anything up to go use the restroom. I mean, it was just a, a, the most lax you could possibly um, have there. Um, so I had all of these benefits, right? It was just handed to me on a silver platter. And yet I just will guess how long I, I, I lasted. <sighs> I don't know. It sounds too good to be true. I'm thinking two weeks. Ah, <laughs> nailed it. Yes. Okay. So single broke teen mom um, was working multiple jobs to barely get by and oftentimes not. Um, it, it was it was a pretty rough season of my life. And here I was handed on a silver platter, the ability to stand every single day and unscrew a screw and put a new screw in into a TV all day long, eight hours now. That didn't work for me because I have underlying needs of extreme 
freedom and having the opportunity to be in charge and to work independently. And um, I like my ideas best and I am definitely designed to be a leader. I have an extreme need to have a social environment. I need to be around other people. I need to spitball ideas. I need to bounce things off the wall with other people's reflection. Um, I move fast. I want ever-changing priorities. I never want the same day to look the same um, or various days to look the same. And I sure don't want to be doing the same thing all day long for eight hours. That sounds like torture to me now that I'm self-aware. And I'm not a great rule follower. So I'm innovative and I like to change things up and to think of having to crawl into a box every day and stand, stay there is asinine to me now. So yes, was that an ideal job for me? Yeah. <laughs> but was I, it's, it's not, could I do the job? I could physically do the job. I had the resume to do the job. I had the values that fit that company. I had the, um, the passion and the ability to show up well, but it doesn't matter that I could do the job. It's that I didn't want to do the job. I would not do the job and I would not do it well over a prolonged period of time. So that was a mishire on their part. Um, mm -hmm. and I, no complaints, but I, that just, that was not a fit for me. And this happens all the time. We have people come in to organizations and they look great on paper and their pedigree is awesome. Their, their history and their, um, you know, where they went to school and they show well in the interview and, and it's like, okay, yeah, their, their values align with our company values. Let's hire them. But we never stop to ask, like, what are they wired to do? And so once they're in the organization and you're not getting that discretionary effort out of them and they're not hitting their goals because it's simply just not something that they're wired to do every day, it's like that that 90 day comes and you're like, who the heck are you? I hired right. this other person and now you've showed up and I don't know who this person is. Um, and that happens every day. So just like when we are putting together a marketing strategy, you have to look at the data and say, okay, based on this data, this is how we are going to tackle this. And, and here's how much market share we're going to be able to get based on the facts. And so when you have a, a business strategy, you have to look internally too. It's not just about, it's not just about market share. It's about how are we going to mobilize our people? How are we going to adapt our people processes to ensure our people strategy matches the business strategy. And once we have that people strategy, now we have to kind of come up with some um, ideal employee profiles, just like we would come up with ideal customer profiles in marketing. And once you have that, now, now you're cooking with gas. And it might be that you see this person is doing all of these things, but we might want to carve off these responsibilities and go put those with this person because they would rock that out. And that's just going to that's going to water down this other person and what they're capable of. So many examples I could give, but sales, don't give them admin stuff. Just go let them hunt, right. you know, go let them hunt and let, let somebody else do all that behind the scenes stuff that is going to be painful and keep them out of selling. When you, so of course, when a company brings you on, you're doing these sorts of analytics, these psychoanalytics to try and determine the key focus areas for each job, helping design some sort of interviewing or, filtering process so you get to the right people. And I want to hear more about that, but could you break it down for me? Let's say there was a company listening right now that has five employees and they're going to hire their sixth. What are two or three things that they could do this afternoon in three or four hours, sit down and really improve the likelihood of success in hiring for that position? Yeah. 
Okay. So step one is review your, your operational goals. What are you trying to accomplish in 2020? Step two is review your culture. What are you about? What type of family member do you need to fit the family rules? Number three is evaluate your team. What is your team great at now? What are you missing? You don't need six of the same people. So if you're missing, for example, a rule follower, if everybody is what we would call in PI, we have different letters for everything for, for predictive index is the tool that I use. One of the tools I use, um, we would call it a, a vitamin D deficiency because no one has D, which is that drive for, um, I call it rule follower, rule breaker. That's, that's not the official way. But if you have a team that is maybe missing some of that, or maybe you have a team that is missing um, somebody who's really great with people and needs to be around people, then you might want to take that in consideration. Um, and so once you have those things under control and you have somewhat of a idea of the, the people strategy to match the business strategy, now everyone needs to contribute to what this person needs ask simple questions. Is this person going to be interacting with customers? Will they be interacting with the community? Will they be leading other people in the, in the organization? Are they going to be, um, sitting behind a desk most of the time? Will they be working independently? Will they have to make decisions on their own? Do they need to be more of a team player? Or do they need to be more of a leader? Do you want them to follow everybody else's ideas or do you want them to create the ideas? Do you want them to be agents of change or do you want them to be implementers of change? Um, do you want them to be out of the box and, and think up different ways to do things or do you want them to just do the same thing every day? Amen. These are the things that will impact that person. And then once everybody has feedback on what this person needs in a work environment, now you can start playing with that language and go out there and put an awesome job description out there and not a boring like litany of responsibilities. It could be something like, hey, if you're a team player and you're always in for um, the greatest good of the team, um, if you love talking to people every day, if you just couldn't imagine having the same day every day and you love diverse um you know, exciting, changing experiences, then keep reading because this job is for you. That is going to create an emotional connection just like we do in marketing. So we're always trying to evoke emotion um, as opposed to this job is going to have community engagement responsibilities. This job is going to lead a team. I mean, that's just so boring. So those would be my steps. And then, then you have to think about integrating into that team. So how are we going to onboard this person based on mm -hmm. their on their profile that we've created for them. If they're, if they're more of an analytical person, they're not a big people person, then maybe parading them throughout the office and doing a big round of applause and put them on the spot first day in a meeting is not the way to do that. <laughs> you know, right. maybe you have little mini meetings instead, one-on-ones, let them get acclimated. Um, so the onboarding and then also um, any type of um, relationship that they're going to have within the organization, have a plan for that too. Make sure that their manager understands what they're, uh, what their needs are and how to specifically manage this person uniquely from other people. And then if there's other key relationships that will be um, a part of that person's professional world, then they need to be set up for success as well. So I, I think that's outstanding. I will throw a couple of hashtag compliance in there things. Okay. <laughs> what, you're, what you're saying sounds to me like an, like a, you use, psychoanalytics, predictive index, different tools. Uh, 
and and surveying and again in a small company it's conversations but in a larger company maybe it's surveying and those sorts of things to determine the um uh the big five introvert extrovert those sorts of things pieces um for a particular job and then you're using it you're looking at it from a marketing perspective how do we design our advertisement our job ad to attract the people that we think would be the best fit for this mm-hmm. uh, now that we know psychoanalytically what it is. So there is a skills component, but finding the right person with the right skills, being able to prove that is one step of it. The other is to design the advertisement in such a way that appeals to the people who have that right mindset and personality to succeed. With yeah. That. And to your point there, there are, I mean, obviously if it's a, if it's a position that requires certifications and things like that, all of that, I, I guess oh, yeah. that talking to your audience, I'm assuming that that's assumed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then well, there I'm... are two, let me throw this in, in real quick because I know that people can get in trouble. Every job posting site has very specific expectations and you can get yourself in trouble and kicked off if you do not meet those expectations. So I don't want people just going out and, you know, like frolicking their job descriptions stay in line with the contractual obligation you you committed to with those job posting sites. Absolutely. Okay, that was and, my and little... I would ju- yeah. And I would just make a distinction between a job advertisement and a job description. Yeah. Um, I, I harp on people all the time. I know it's silly, but your job description needs to say things like be able to sit for six hours a day. Right. And other BS like that. That's not particularly appealing, but that doesn't hurt that doesn't hurt the other thing. There's two things. There's a job advertisement and a job description. And the job ad has its own line of compliance crap, just like you said. It's got to be on the, got to have the site. It's got to have your right EEOC stuff. It's, you know, there's there's stuff like that, but it can still be a narrative that uh, uh, it's an advertisement first and foremost. And rather than advertising purely for skill or talking about the broad company culture, which you see kind of in the step two, a lot of people get to, they tell that in the job ad, they'll talk all about the company and how they treat their people, which is awesome. Go further and craft the advertisement to attract the type of personality yeah. you need in that position. What's I think in that's it for me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also to filter out the people, literally, I love your statement in there, something like, do you want every day to be different? That's sort of, those sorts of statements are incredibly, uh, they're going to turn off the wrong people. Yes. And that that gives you a huge limiter there. And then I would just say in your people process design, and I'm sure you go into this, in your interview process, you're looking to try and remove the uncertainty that they would not fit, right? So you're then right. crafting your interview around, of course, verifying the skills and the abilities, but also throw some interview questions in there that show those behaviors. Exactly. Um, I think that's out, that's a re, that's that's worth your price of admission, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, and if you're a small company, you can do this now. Now, Amber, of course, uh, your company does this, uh, and I and I want to talk about that. But if you're a small company and you need to do this, you know, on your own, just just the mind bug that we just put there of it's more than skill. Take a minute and think about the personality type and and the goal day. One uh, one thing that. Um, forgot who I interviewed. This was about a year ago, but they talked about um, in their job advertisement, they would actually do a, and this was a larger company, but they had a video on every job type and it was a uh, day in the life video and they put a lot of effort into it. But uh, basically the idea was illustrate the actual, like what you're doing every day piece of it. 
and and like talk to people who were already in the position. And you know, their cost was like five grand per position because they had like a legit video company come out and write a script and a screen thing. Uh, but I had companies after that call me up and be like, I took my cell phone around yeah. and we did a, we did a 30 minute, we just kind of walked around and I had different people come in and tell me about how their job went every day. And, you know, we wound up with seven YouTube videos and the num- our number of applicants went down, but our quality of applicant, I mean, every, every second applicant was, a, 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 a my trouble was I couldn't figure out how to hire so many people. They were all so good That's because amazing. they saw what was going on. So. That's, and that's uh, another marketing principle or a branding principle, rather. It's you want your brand to be so clear that you, when somebody approaches your brand, that they immediately think, yes, this is for me or no, this is not for me. You do not want to be messing around with people who are not a fit. So go ahead and and make sure that they self-identify and exit stage left because exactly. that's just more time that you you're spending in uh in that process and more pain down the road if somebody like that slips through so much of people processes can be tied to broad operational principles like you've done with marketing um but you're exactly right i think that's that's so good when you know when you when you talk to a business owner a lot of them have read a book or five about defining their niche about about understanding what it is their product or service does and who their unique uh, uh, customer avatar is and those sorts of things. And they'll put the time and effort into figuring that out. And then when someone comes to them and goes, uh, well, I like your stuff, but I want you to do these six other things that are not at all relevant to what you do. um, Most of them, at least the successful ones, get pretty quick to say, "Eh, I don't do that. Yeah, (laughs) you need need Jack. Jack's a great friend. He's awesome. He'll handle, you know, Um, and I and yet in a in a tight in a labor market, shockingly, people don't. It's and it's not so much that I think they're afraid to say no. I think it's they they haven't put the work in to define that person, as you talked about, that ideal employee, uh, that that employee avatar. And I think it's interesting too that, you know, so many people will hire somebody if they can fog a mirror because it's like a high volume high turnover position. And I'm like, well, do you just love recruiting? I mean, do you love dealing with turnover and losing money and letting it just fall out of your business? Because if you did this the right way, then (laughs) you wouldn't, you wouldn't have to always hire somebody who could fog a mirror because you would have more longevity. And there are positions, as you know, um, I'm sure most of your listeners are like, well, Amber, but I mean, there are <laughs> higher turnover positions, right? right? So food and beverage, housekeeping, um, you know, security, there's lots of things yeah. that are just traditionally, um, you're going to have a, a different type of person who has different goals for that, you know, position. But by and large, um, even in those positions, if you if you get it right on the front end, you will reduce your turnover. Hmm. What do you think, what would you say to someone? Let's, let's, let's dive into that a little bit. Let me take an example of a home healthcare organization. Uh, these are, these are normally uh, Medicaid uh, paid organizations that are providing in-home non-medical care for uh, the indigent. I mean, they don't, you know, so they're, they're set, their rates are set by the government. They're, you know, they may hire, they may have three or 400 employees and hire eight or 900 people a year. Yeah. What would you say to someone like them that, that, you know, you're looking for someone who's willing to wipe the butt of a sick old person? <laughs> That's the, the yeah. qualification. What sort of psychometrics would you think are relevant or, or people data or however you want to put it 
that you that they maybe should think about at least seeing if there's a trend or pattern in there for Yeah. So for that particular position, I would definitely look for somebody who's very collaborative in their work, that they love to serve another person. They love to um, do for others. Like they, every single day, they love to um, be a part of something bigger than themselves. That's, that is key. I would have somebody who is moderately social, but not um, not especially so, because um, hanging out with somebody all day, you know, just one on one, is going to, uh, you know, definitely be different than being on a big dynamic team. And so, you know, I would either, I would probably be middle of the road there. Um, I would look for somebody who was definitely a consistent person, somebody who found. Um, value and comfort in doing the same kind of work every single day. Um, and and I would definitely have somebody, especially given that it would be, um, you know, government funded, I would have somebody who dotted every I and, ta- and, and crossed every T, both for the safety of the, of the person they're taking care of, but also for the back end side of things. And then I would look for somebody who was probably um, a, a nice balance of, um, analytical over um, kind of more intuitive because I, I think you would need somebody who could use their intuition and use borrow from their previous experiences and their gut instinct in a situation like that. But you still need for them to be somewhat analytical because of the type of work that it is. And so that type of profile, um, you know, would achieve more success and, and reduce turnover somebody who might just really need a job and accepted a position, but they don't love rules. You know, they, they want to go hang out with their friends and they're stuck, you know, wiping somebody's rear every day that they don't really care about because they care more about their goals and whatnot, as opposed to the collective. Um, That would just be a recipe for disaster. And it's going to hurt your brand in the end because- I'm sorry. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't mean to interrupt, but but I think just a few of those metrics. If you're interviewing or advertising, and you're thinking you 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 are doing purely skills based um, or experience based advertisements for this job, and you start filtering just a little bit for you hit some of the key things: comfortable with somewhat repetitive work, not as isolationist, you know, some of my employees, man, you give them a stack of work on the left of their desk and on the end of the day, on the right of their desk, everything is done. Oh yeah. Every box is checked and they love it. But you ask them, Hey, I'd also along the way, like you to attend three meetings with clients and their eyes start to bleed. Right. So, (laughs) so you don't, you don't need a pure isolationist, but you also don't need someone who's been in field sales Right. Uh, or, you know, consultation every day where they're interacting with hundreds of people or large groups, that also is it. So just filtering for some adherence to rote task, but also marginally social and a uh, an ability to um, accurately complete a checklist, right? Yeah. To be, you know, willing to follow the rules. Just those three, and, and and you mentioned many others, which were also awesome, but those three alone, adding that level of filtering isn't going to lower your applicant pool that much, Mm-mm. but would ve- make a huge impact in the long run of the quality of candidate you bring in. And and so here's like where things can go sideways, right? So if I was interviewing for that position and somebody 
got past the filter process and, and were sitting in my office and they had a long history of restaurant work. They've been a server at multiple different brands. That's been the large majority and they show well, they are so dynamic and everybody on the interview team is like, oh, they'd be so great. They're going to make our customers happy. I would throw a red flag on that so quickly because there is a reason why they are attracted to the service industry. There is a reason why they love that dynamic, different customer tables that are turning, um, you know, changing priorities every single day. I mean, the restaurant world is totally different than home healthcare. Um, and so I would immediately start asking questions around what, what type of environments unleash their greatest potential and, and be very consistent in, in drilling down, um, of what they need in an environment. And so just because they show up and they're super jovial and, and passionate, that's great. And, you know, if they could sustain the actual work, then yes, that would probably be good for the, for the person that they're serving, um, at, at the home, but it's very unlikely that that person is going to be successful and stick with you. So all of that energy is, is not going to mean anything in the end. That's outstanding. Okay. Well, Amber, thank you so much for your insight. Let me ask you this. Let's say someone's listening right now and they're they're a little bit more established business and they're thinking, this is probably the missing key. <laughs> um, what should What's going through their head or what is the triggering event that they should reach out to you for? And what's kind of the size of company you work with? Um, you know, it's interesting because I've, I've got clients that I use the predictive index with who um, have as small as um, like 17 employees. And then you have, you know, much, much larger companies as well. Um, I think the cost savings on getting things right on the front end and also having a tool that can manage relationships and succession planning and all that kind of stuff is just, it's a win with one miss. By saving one mishire, you basically pay for your annual subscription. Um, oh, absolutely. So, I mean, you and I know these things, but sometimes it's a harder sell. So I would just say that if you're frustrated with um, a lack of, of a candidate pool um, up until, you know, this crisis that we're in, um, you know, there is 0.8 applicants for every open position in the United States of America, according to the U.S. government. So just attracting people is a challenge. If you're frustrated with that, if you're frustrated with turnover, um, or if you are really just wanting to um, ensure that your team is performing at peak performance and that you're getting that next level out of your team because you have really big goals, um, then that's that's the time to call me. I am not I am not the best person for status quo. I'm I'm better for um, more challenging environments. Um, I'm good for, we've got really big goals and we've got to get to them. Um, I, I like that kind of stuff. So, um, if you, if you feel like you're in a little bit of chaos or if things are super dynamic and you need some processes put in place that are fun and everyone will buy into because everyone loves learning about themselves and how that relates to other people. Um, if you need somebody who's a little bit of the, the mediator between senior leadership and your front line. I am definitely your girl and my team is eager to especially help now as people are having to make hard decisions. Um, they're having to cut the fat and maximize um, what they've got. And this tool will help you be far more strategic in doing that. And as we talked about at the beginning, there's an opportunity in everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of these are just absolutely devastating layoffs and those sorts of things for companies. But some companies are in a position where this is the opportunity to 
clean house, get lean, um, keep your best, reward them, reset, and then go forward. If you have a lot of people who aren't fitting in your positions, now may be the time uh, to, to start really looking hard at either reshuffling them or finding new people. So well, to we reach out to, to you, I'm certain. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I was just saying you have to keep the long game in, right. in play too, because it's highly likely that many companies are going to have to rehire um, people that they furloughed or laid off. And so what's your plan? Like, how right. are you going to do that? And how are you going to, how are you going to ensure that you leverage that opportunity to the, for the highest and best use of the organization that serves its employees and all of your customers? Um, so I just, I've been doing some videos lately on YouTube and, and that is my biggest message right now, whether it's this crisis or future crisis is don't forget the long game. We're, we're all in this together. So stay strategic. So to reach out to Amber, go to amberhurdle.com. That's A-M-B-E-R-H-U-R-D-L-E.com. Link at peopleprocesses.com. She's also available at in slash Amber Hurdle, at Amber Hurdle on Twitter, and on Facebook, Amber Hurdle Fan. I also love your Instagram at The Velvet Machine. Check her out on there. Definitely worth following. Great info coming uh, on all of those media. Amber, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you learned a ton. I hope you've been inspired to take some action. Now it is time for you to go out there, have a great day, and get your work done.